This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What it do, Hardwood Knox listeners. Welcome back. We are going to get into part two of our Southeast Division Outlook with Jeff Siegel, the founder of Early Bird Rights. Follow him on Twitter at JG Siegel, S-I-E-G-E-L. Follow Early Bird Rights on Twitter at Early Bird Rights. You won't regret that, trust me. Your your best one-stop shop for all salary cap stuff, among many other things. Before we get started, though, our episodic housekeeping notes continue. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to Hardwood Knox on Twitter. Make sure you're downloading our episodes. We appreciate every single one of you. It takes 10 to 15 seconds out of your day to search Hardwood Knox on iTunes. If you've subscribed, definitely throw us that five-star rating. Write a review, anything you want. It can even be constructive criticism. We're here for it. We're always taking into account what our listeners want, their thoughts, anything. It's all appreciated. We can also be found wherever else you're getting your podcast, though, obviously. Blog Talk, Spotify, Google Play, R19, V Hold Nine Yards, and more. Follow Hardwood Knox on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. You can follow Andy on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey. Last and certainly not least, follow Blue Wire on Twitter as well at Blue Wire Pods. With all that out of the way, though, we get to part two of our Southeast Division Outlook, where we talk all things Charlotte Hornets, Orlando Magic, and Miami Heat with Jeff Siegel of Early Bird Rights. The Miami Heat are up. They're sexy six. Going to be starting with are people sleeping on them after the Jimmy Butler uh, acquisition? Because it does seem like the discourse centered on how much better are they really compared to last season. He's a clear upgrade over Josh Richardson just because of, if only, just because of what he can do on the ball offensively. But do you think that Miami's ceiling is maybe higher than, than people are giving them credit for? Or is it lower because Jimmy Butler's forcing everybody to get up at 3.30 in the morning to go practice? <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly if that's a thing that they're going to do all year, then this team is going to be sleep-deprived by December, and they're not going to win anything. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm lower on them. I think I'm, I'm not necessarily a Butler guy. I'm not sure that he's the guy that you want, you know, leading your team into, into the future. I'm not sure that he's somebody that I would want as my, my absolute primary outlet. You know, I think he worked as a, as a pseudo sort of co-primary outlet with the, uh, with the Philadelphia 76ers with Joel Embiid. That was something that made a little bit more sense to me. The fact that he's going to be their number one guy. And, and I don't, I just don't, I don't think that their ceiling is, is necessarily all that high. I, I would peg them for like, the fifth or sixth seed and being bounced in the first round of the playoffs, maybe they can give you know somebody a series in the first round, but they're so far away from being you know a, a true contender in the East that you know I don't I don't know that the the Butler acquisition it certainly does something for them. It moves them from outside the playoffs to inside the playoffs, but I don't think it does much more than that. 
Uh, what have been your impressions of Bam Adebayo? They're now, it's, look, he's their starting center. They get rid of, rid of Hassan Whiteside. He's super bouncy, has a nice handle for someone his size. Uh, do you see him as someone who can anchor a, a really good defense in the back? Um, do you buy into his range? I think they've talked a lot about, too, of developing his jumper, and he, he shot a high percentage on long twos last year, but they accounted for such a small part of his offense that I'm, I'm just wondering, are, are we overstating his offensive range a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I, I buy his defensive development more than the jumper. You know, I, I think that the jumper is something that he'll ha- will bring along slowly. I don't think it's something that it's going to be there immediately this year. S- certainly, if it is there, then he can be uh, a much better player because the guys are going to have to close out to him, and then he can put the ball on the floor. Like you said, he's got a pretty decent handle for a guy of his size. You know, he, he can pass the ball a little bit, certainly better than Hassan Whiteside could, so that's nice. Um, so I think he's... I think I buy his de- his defensive development more than more than the jumper, but you know I think both can come along over these next few years. Um, starting fives are more arbitrary than ever, and so I felt weird having this as my third note on them. But how would you build out this team's opening lineup? Because it does seem that Butler and Adebayo are the only two guarantees. Uh, it does kind of feel like they're leaning towards not starting just these Winslow at point guard. So then you could probably surmise that Goran Dragic is the third. But how would you? Uh, build out the starting five for Miami. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd go with Dragic and I'd, I'd bring Winslow off the bench, but I'd also close games with Winslow. Like, I think he's good enough to close games, but in terms of starting lineups, I would I would keep him on the bench and let him run the second unit. Go Dragic, Butler, maybe Tyler Hero, depending on how, you know, how they feel about him. Obviously, they love him and he's played, you know, relatively well in preseason. We'll find out more, you know, from him as, as preseason drags on. I'm not sure that he's going to make their opening you know, opening starting lineup on, on opening night, but you know, he could work his way in there pretty, pretty easily. And then I think, you know, Kelly Olenek and, and Bam Adebayo are, are your two guys in the front court. And so what does your closing lineup look like for that team then? Is it just these? I think, Win- I think Winslow just comes in for, for hero. And so okay. it's just sort of Winslow is defends whatever position you need him to defend. And it's, it's mostly, it's going to be Dragic, Butler, Winslow, Olenek and, and Bam Adebayo. Uh, speaking of Tyler Hero, uh, the Heat talk about him like he's a future Hall of Famer. He he said after he left Kentucky that he can do a lot more with the ball in his hands. I feel like we hear a lot of that from guys who come out who come out of Kentucky. Uh, given what he's shown in summer league, the preseason, do you buy into that pick and roll creation or or the off the bounce or, or not or and the off the bounce shot creation? And if if you do or even if you don't, do you think that the Heat are even going to afford him this type of freedom? in year one because they're not a team that is devoid of, of expectations. You just signed Jimmy Butler. So we're signed and traded for Jimmy Butler. So I'm just even curious to see what his opportunity looks like with Miami in the regular season. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's shown more than I expected from him in the, in the preseason. And so it's, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if he can keep that up. I'm not sure that, you know, I, I, I like you, I don't, I'm not sure that he's going to have that opportunity, especially if they do put him in the starting lineup because they need his shooting around Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, then that's going to be, you know, he's going to have fewer opportunities to do stuff like that. If he's coming in off the bench, then he's going to have a little bit more opportunities to be that secondary playmaker next to Winslow. So it, it sort of just depends on where, where he fits within their you know rotation uh, and uh, sort of in, in a weird way, a promotion to the starting lineup would be you know worse for him long-term because of the fact that he, could use some of that development time off the bench to to work on his handle, to work on his playmaking and pick and roll and stuff like that. So, you know, I think we'll we'll see 
early in the season based on you know where where he's playing, who he's playing his minutes with, and and what he's what he's got going on in terms of you know where his uh, his development is going to go this year. This is might not be as interesting of a question as I thought, but who's more likely to have a bounce back year, Waiters, Dragic, or Johnson? And if if you default to Dragic, then then who would you have higher expectations for between Waiters or Johnson? Yeah, I mean, I definitely default to Dragic. I just think he's going to be the starting point guard. He's going to get back out there. If he's remotely more healthy than he was last year, which hopefully he will be, he's he's a, a starting level point guard, and he's clearly the best of these three guys. Other than that, I mean, I, I think you have to answer Deion Waiters because James Johnson isn't even with the team. Like, he's they he, he got fat over the offseason, apparently, and they decided until you lose enough weight, you don't get to play. You know, and so he's not even practicing with them yet. And so, you know, I think that, that Dion, if he can stay healthy, can provide some sort of off-the-bounce scoring on the second unit. You know, I think he's somebody that you can give the ball to and he can create something out of nothing, which is something that, you know, a guy like Tyler Hero showed a little bit in preseason, but who knows? Justice Winslow is not necessarily just a create something out of nothing, an isolation kind of guy. So I think, you know, Dion has a chance to, to play a role on this team if he can stay healthy. Uh, James Johnson did return to the Heat, I think, over the weekend and practiced for the oh, first okay. time. So. Well, that's good for him. So, you know, I'm glad that he took got the weight off so that he could he could get uh, get back out there. But certainly, the fact that he's already coming into the season in the doghouse, I don't I don't expect too much from him this year. Yeah, uh, the summer of 2017 for Miami remains undefeated. Yeah, it's uh, the summer of 2017 for Miami was what the summer of 2016 was for everybody else. That made it even more unforgivable too. Yeah, because they saw whatever what happened to everybody else, and they were like, "Okay, well, everybody else screwed themselves, so let's not do that." And then they did it anyway. It was terrible. Uh, that, uh, that 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 was my when people started trying to defend the Knicks and the Tim Hardaway Jr. contract too. It was like it was 2017. I, I just didn't yeah. understand the bad contracts that were handed out that year. That was such a bad contract. Like the the Hawks had you know Tim it, he was their own restricted free agent, and they didn't they didn't even consider for two seconds matching that deal. Like they were just like, thank you for offering him that much money. You can have him, you know, good, best of luck to you. There was, I think low reported at the time that the Hawks weren't willing to go higher than 48 to 52. And then people said that that was just convenient from everything I've even heard since though, it seems like that was actually accurate. And so then the Knicks yeah. ended up blowing the Hawks' ceiling offer just entirely out of the water. Comical. Yeah. That summer. I mean, it was such a, a, a outsized contract I, th- I think that makes sense to me from what i've heard about from, uh, around the hawks about tim hardaway you know i think they were they were in the 50 million dollar range and and they obviously were not willing to match on whatever he ended up getting like 75 million or whatever the felicio contract was that summer too just the summer of the 2017 deals just bizarre yeah uh, what's something about the heat that maybe you're interested in watching or that you think is not getting enough shine for them leading into the season I mean, I think they're going to just be, they could be really, really good defensively, especially in, in close games down the end with Butler, Winslow, and Bam as sort of their their defensive backbone. I think that's that's going to be a lot of fun to see, you know, what how good can they be defensively. We know that Spolstra coaches these guys to try really, really hard in the regular season. And so that's, you know, the fact that they're going to have that sort of culture, you know, makes me really interested in how they're going to defend this year. The thing for me with them is I think they're better suited. Everyone talks about they're the team that could go after Chris Paul midseason. I just like they're better better suited or more likely to do something off the wall or drastic in the middle of the year than people realize. And it could be outside of Chris Paul. They have these 
interesting salary matching contracts. Dragic, Meyer, Lenners are coming off the books after this year. Uh, Kelly Olynyk could definitely be technically be looped in there with his player option. Uh, James Johnson and Waiters only have a year on their deals after this one. I could just see them entering uh, if they view themselves as a threat in the East, or maybe they're off to a slow start and they they know they need to maximize Butler's window. I could just see them doing something outside the Chris Paul spectrum that catches people off guard. Like maybe they're the team that tries to get Cleveland, uh, Kevin Love out of Cleveland. They're obviously devoid basically of future picks, but if you're willing to include um, a just East Winslow in a deal, I wouldn't do that for Kevin Love. Or if you're willing to include a Tyler Hero in a package, probably not something that interests the Heat when they have all those guards. It just feels like they are set up to do something disarming more so than people are talking about. Yeah. I mean, certainly if, if Butler becomes unhappy and and they decide that they need to make a move, they they're not they're not scared of making big moves in Miami, and so I think that would be that would be interesting. I don't know that it's going to happen this year, just because adding salary for them is so difficult with the apron. But right. it's something that certainly is something to watch for over the next you know twelve months or so. Um, we are on to the the quick hit around for them. Will they grade out higher on the offensive or the defensive end? I'd go with defense because you you just you know that they're going to try really hard. You know Spolstra is a good defensive coach. They added Butler, who's a, you know a good defensive player. So I think that you know because of what their culture is and because Butler's ceiling offensively is not immensely high, but he's going to have the ball in his hands so much that the, you know he's going to be their offensive engine. I don't I don't necessarily believe in their offense, but their defense should be very good. And if if you really think about it, how many guaranteed above average offensive players do they have on this team? I would say two, three might be my max to guarantee ahead of the season. Well, Dragic and Butler, and then it's you know maybe you, do you count Justice Winslow as that? Do you bank on Hero being there as a rookie? What do you consider with? I mean, Kelly I would. Olenek? I would. Yeah, I would think Kelly Olynyk is an above average offensive player. I think. I mean. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but like Myers Leonard is an above average offensive player. It's the fact that he can't defend, which is what keeps him on the bench all the time. You know, so I think that they've got some offensive players. It's whether they can play some of those guys based on the on their defensive weaknesses. That's that's the biggest thing that keeps keeps Myers Leonard completely out of out of the rotation in Portland for the most part, is that he just can't defend. Do you have a breakout candidate for this roster? I mean, we just talked about uh, Myers Leonard. I think that would be interesting if he could defend, if he finds a home in in Miami where he can, you know, start to do some things on the defensive end. I think that would be he could be somebody that we're talking about a lot differently a year from now than we were than we are right now. Yeah, that's that's a sneaky good pick, and it seems like he might be the type of player where Miami just extracts like great things out of him too. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, certainly he didn't have a ton of opportunity in Portland and, and is an, you know, overpaid and, and, you know, underproducing, but he can, he can shoot the ball. And and if he can, you know, play some defense, he's long and he's tall. And I think that there are, there are ways to, to use him. Certainly. I mean, Terry Stotts is a great defensive coach and the fact that he couldn't get anything out of Leonard makes me think that nobody can, but you never know with Spolstra and the the Miami culture, whether they can, they can do something with him. and I guess with the way they play defense and having Adebayo in the middle who can move a lot, maybe that just makes it easier to hide uh, an, like a second big's worth of liabilities on the defensive floor. So p- perhaps this is just a, a little bit better of a fit for him. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly possible as well. Um, strongest year-end award candidate? 
I mean, Butler's probably their pick for for MVP if they're gonna if they're gonna get into that conversation. He's probably not gonna get into there, but you know, technically that's possible. Spolstra, if they if they really exceed expectations, could win Coach of the Year. You know, certainly if they're pushing, you know, at the three seed and they're right there with you know 50, 55 wins. I don't expect that by any means, but certainly he could he could get some Coach of the Year buzz if they, if they're in that uh, if in the, they're in that mix. Yeah, I think he'd be my pick. Like, what if this is just like the 2017, 2018 Pacers where they blow expectations um, just just aside. And if they are in the conversation for the third team and a uh, third seed in the East and hovering around like, you know, 51, 50, 50 something wins. I don't know if even, I don't even think I'd give them 50 something wins as their ceiling, but if that's the case, then just knowing the reputation Spolstra already has, I think he'd be my pick as their most likely uh, year-end award candidate. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Is there an offbeat lineup that you're dying to see from this team? I think Winslow, Butler, and just all the shooters that they can put on the floor would be really interesting. And just let, let you know, I saw him talking about like Winslow, Butler, Hero, Olenek, and Myers Leonard. And just let the, the perimeter defense sort of handle things. Obviously, Leonard would be the backbone of the defense there, but really the backbone would be, uh, would be Winslow and Butler. And just try to harass ball handlers to the point where the rim protection doesn't quite matter. I don't think that would work, but certainly offensively, that would be a lot of fun with those two guys. Sort of an inverted thing where the, the two ball handlers would be your, your non-shooters and then everybody else would be able to shoot the ball. And so you know, I think that would be you know, relatively interesting and, and uh, an offbeat lineup that they could try if they're sort of struggling offensively. Yeah, that's where I was at too. I wanted Butler, Winslow, uh, Winslow, Winslow, Hero, and then I wanted Dragic though, and then just put your choice of big in the middle. Uh, if you thought that you could get away with a floor spacing big with a, a Linux, maybe even James Johnson at the five might be interesting for that. Uh, I do not know how the defense would look in that scenario. Probably not great. But if you're playing Butler and Winslow at the same time, it's like you said, you have almost two backbones to your defensive setup there. Yeah, I think that would be really interesting for them. You know, the perimeter defense would have to make up for the interior defense, but they might be able to do it. Who would be your player most likely to be traded on the Heat? I mean, it's they've got some, you know, like you were talking about, they've got some options in order to try to go after somebody big. I don't see that materializing this year just because of their apron issues. For me, I think if they need to open up another roster spot and they need to open up, like this, they would make a financial trade. Is this, this is the team that I think will make a trade like Derek Jones Jr. If he's not in their plans, then they can clear his $1.6 million off their apron and try to, uh, to try to sign somebody else into that spot. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with you there too. Uh, but where do you think they'll land in the Eastern Conference? I don't buy them like as a real contender. Like I don't think that they're going to be a three seed. I don't think that they're going to if they a four seed even for, would be you know a, a positive outcome for them. I think that they're more in sort of the the five six seven range with you know the low end of teams like you know if Toronto isn't quite as good as as some people expect them to be. If, if Brooklyn is not quite as good, they could be in that discussion i think that's sort of where they are rather than uh, rather than at the top in the three four five conversation if they if they finish seventh in the east that wouldn't surprise me yeah the after milwaukee and philadelphia the east is extremely difficult to project not in the rosiest way either yeah i mean it's a lot of like is brooklyn going to be decent without durant is it, you know can boston put it together without Kyrie? like you know is toronto going to be anything without Kawhi? it's a whole bunch of like can these teams do things without their stars from the previous season or without their stars, you know, through injury or through having, having left. So, you know, I think it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting to see how all that shakes out. I am a little thrown at how many people are defaulting to Boston as the three seed. 
Uh, not just because that Brooklyn could be in that conversation, but it, it just doesn't feel like it's even close to that foregone of an outcome. I mean, somebody has to do it, and none of those teams are very good. So, you know, it's it's going to be – somebody's going to – I think if, if you were to bet on one of the teams having somebody on their team to make a leap in order to push that team into the three. Yeah, that's true. Boston's got a couple of guys who can make that leap. You know, and so I think that's where that's where people are, are coming from trying to get trying to shoehorn them into the, the three seed. Bold or boldish prediction for Miami. It might not be this year, but at some point Jimmy Butler's gonna be unhappy again and they're gonna have to deal with that. And you know, whether they can or not, or whether he even cares all that much, or whether all that stuff is just posturing and he just wanted to go play in Miami because it's fun to live in Miami and go to the beach and stuff. Like and go straight I have no idea. to practice, yeah. Yeah, but if he's <laughs> if he if he turns back into the version of Jimmy Butler that actually wants to win games, which is not the decision that he made over the summer, but if he, if he actually at some point decides, Hey, I'd like to win more games. Miami is not the place to do that. And he's, you know, he's going to get unhappy again and how they deal with that is going to be interesting. I like that one. Uh, I'm mine is, I'm just saying Chris Paul will not be in a heat Jersey by the end of the year. Probably not. That no, long, I don't, but I don't think so either. I just don't see that they're they're going to be able to to make that happen. I almost want him to finish the season in Oklahoma City because that without the Thunder making huge changes, I feel Daniel Gallinari is going to be traded. That's almost like fate complete at this point. But I almost want Oklahoma City to stay together and try just to see how good that core right now could be. Yeah, I mean, I, if they can't get a trade done, I certainly think that that would. I think that would make them – they would certainly make them better this year, but I think it would be really interesting to see if they can sneak into sort of the – even the 8, 9, 10 sort of conversation in the Western Conference. It's going to be such a, a bloodbath out there, but you know, I think that they could, they could sneak in there if, they, uh, if, they, if everything goes right for them. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter where you're selling, be it Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And right now, Hardwood Knox listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customers. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE, B-L-U-E. That's ShipStation.com, then enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. Six for the Charlotte Hornets is where we're at. I don't want to harp on this Kemba stuff with Charlotte, but we haven't talked about it on this podcast yet. I did go on a mini rant of Twitter when the Rick Bonnell interview with Mitch Kupchak came out a few weeks back, um, and Mitch essentially said that Kemba Walker making All NBA caught the Hornets by surprise and took them a ba- like took them aback. I and then I saw like Hornets fans or Hornets Twitter, insofar as there is Hornets Twitter, like being sort of complimentary of the interview and saying it's nice to know that this team actually has a plan. And I want to be clear, I'm not putting everything on cup check because a lot of the problems predate him. I didn't view that logic as a defense of where Charlotte is going because I know a lot of people wouldn't have put Kemba Walker on the All-NBA ballot, 
That being said, Kemba Walker is at least that caliber of player where you have to plan around the possibility he gets an All-NBA selection and then you ha- he is eligible to be paid. And what made it even more difficult for me is that a lot of the reports had that, that they weren't even going to the full like max with him, the regular max, not even the super max. And so if that wasn't in the cards, why did you not trade him? And I'm not, look, if this was, I know there's someone, there's Michael Jordan ownership always above uh, the general manager, whoever's fault it was. I don't care that the the all-star game was in Charlotte. People were going to the all-star game anyway. It's not important to have uh, Kemba Walker there so that he's in the all-star game. Yeah. I mean, it's not a super surprise that, Michael Jordan and Mitch Kupchak didn't have the foresight to, to make this happen, but, or to, to, to make a trade before he, before Kemba Walker just left. I mean, it's, it's nothing, nothing about Jordan's ownership tenure has been all that positive. So it's not, you know, it's not, it's certainly not a surprise to see them having uh, pr- pretty much messed this up as well. Moving on to actual future stuff. That was just, I couldn't, I couldn't get over that, or at least how that interview ended up being interpreted by, by a, many of basketball Twitter. But moving on to the second question of this, what's Terry Rozier's best case scenario this year? Has he almost become too much of a punchline because of how last season in Boston went? Uh, but you also have to juxtapose that with the fact that he was kind of overrated because of what they did in the 2018 postseason where, yeah, you know, we hit threes and made some plays off the bounce, but, like, he wasn't actually that efficient or, or really just very good. He outplayed Eric Bledsoe for a series, which I think, I guess at this point, anyone is is capable of doing. Hashtag, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, the best-case scenario for Rogier is really tough because his best role is next to a, another guy who can make plays. And he's more of a secondary guy, a three and D point guard, if you will. Like that's what Rogier's best role is, and this—that is not what he's going to be asked to do on this Hornets team. He's going to be asked to make all the plays off the bounce that he can't make, and so it's going to be really bad for him. And so, you know, I think playing—that's what frustrated me about his summer, and that's what frustrated me about him in general—is like he doesn't seem to realize that he can be so immensely valuable in like Dallas next to Luka Doncic or in Philly next to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid or in LA next to, next to LeBron James or, you know, a team that has a primary creator at a a position that isn't point guard. He could be so valuable for them because he can defend the point guard spot and he can hit threes off the catch. Even last year when he was so bad, he was like, you know, the 50th or 55th percentile in, in catch and shoot jumpers. Like he can catch and shoot. It's all the other stuff that he can't do. And so, you know, Charlotte is not going to be able to, they're not going to have, they're not going to afford, they, they don't have the other players around him to let him play off the ball. So he's going to play on the ball all the time and it's going to be terrible. Frankly, the best long-term scenario for Terry Rogier is that they give him the keys to the car and that he crashes it into the wall. And that he finally goes into next summer and goes, hey, I'm not a point guard. I'm not a primary playmaker. If he can, whatever needs to happen to get him to that realization, that's the best case scenario for him. Yeah, there's some of his numbers might pop this year by way of volume alone, but it does seem that it's going to get ugly if they really want him to be the full-time primary playmaker, and he's not going to have the luxury of going up against a bunch of second units or having 
the wing slash wings next to him that that can create for themselves. I mean, Nicholas Batum is is so passive now. Uh, Dwayne Bacon can create a little bit. Maybe you're hoping for more of that out of Miles Bridges, but without having a co-pilot with him, it it seems like their their offense is set up to to crater this season. Oh yeah, I mean this team is going to be so so bad on that on the offensive end, and and really. They have some veterans, but some of those veterans might not see the see the season out. I mean, Marvin Williams is probably the team's best overall player, but he should have some value on the trade market. And if they're looking to rebuild, then they should look to, to cash him in. Obviously, that's not what the Hornets like to do because we just saw that with Kemba Walker. But if they, you know, if they if they were smart, which you know is up in the air, certainly yeah. is very 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 questionable. They would look look to move Marvin Williams to a team that could that can use him. So. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not sure that they're going to do that, but this team could be really bad offensively. One of the benefits of them being so bad this year, though, is they should have the bandwidth now to open up Miles Bridges on offense and see if he can do more with the ball in his hands because he is one of the, the younger players that I ride for and does doesn't always make the smartest decisions on defense, but you can just tell that the versatility is there and that he has such a wide range on that end of the floor. If he can be more than uh, someone who really just blasts the rim consistently on offense, or maybe he does some is more comfortable doing even straight line stuff. Uh, you don't have to have him running pick and roll, or if he becomes a more consistent, you know, catch and shoot guy. I would like to see his volume on offense just be increased exponentially in a bunch of different forms to kind of plumb the depths of what he he has and did you see anything from him last season or do you think that he's that type of player where maybe he could open up his game to that degree on a team that's going to be begging for someone to open up their game in some way yeah I mean I certainly think he they should give him that opportunity to see if he can do it I'm not I don't I'm not sure I buy that he will be able to do it but they should they should certainly try that there's no reason not to to see if they can think they can find a secondary creator at the 3-4 position with him that would be you know a a fantastic find for them. And this is the year to do it when they, you know, certainly are not going to be very good anyway. Do you have any impressions of PJ Washington so far leading into the draft? I really want him to end up on a team that could play him like in smaller units or would lean on that because I just wasn't sure how he'd fit um, as the combo big, like combo wings, just like it didn't seem that his position was very clear. And yet in the, the preseason, he has been very plug and play to the point that I, I, again, it's preseason, it's preseason, it's preseason, all those disclaimers, which we should just mention anytime we talk about the Pelicans too. But he just seems like such a seamless guy to put in on, on the offensive end, and I really didn't see that happening right out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, I I think he's played really well in preseason, and certainly the role has been interesting to monitor, but I'm, I'm still relatively low on him long term. I think once we get into the regular season, some of that plug and play will will disappear as as guys are trying a little bit more and, and things are a little bit there's there's fewer bad players on the floor in the regular season. You know, I'm not I'm not sure that I'm I, I really buy his his long term prospects, but you know certainly he's looked better in preseason than uh, than I had expected. Dwayne Bacon, Willie Hernan Gomez, Devontae Graham, Malik Monk. Who do you have long term between those four? I think Dwayne Bacon is my guy. Yes. I, I really, really like him. You know, I think he's just he's got the he's got the, the the best chance of this group, which seems weird with Monk in it, but he's got the best chance of this group to be a real rotation player. I think Hernan Gomez just can't defend. Like it's just that's the way it is right now with for him. I don't think it's going to be hard for him to provide enough value to matter when he can't defend like that. 
you know, Graham, I, I actually really liked Devontae Graham as a backup point guard. You know, I, certainly the, the point guard overall for, for the Hornets has taken a massive downgrade from Kemba Walker and Tony Parker to Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham. But I think Graham is, is a solid player. I think he's going to be a fine backup point guard. Monk is just too one-dimensional. Like, he just he's a scorer who can't do it efficiently, and that's all he can do. And it's just like that's not nearly going to be good enough to be a rotation-level player. So, you know, I really like I really like Bacon. I really like what he can bring to the table in very small bursts. And, you know, I think that if he can sort of bring some more consistency to the table, I think he can be a real rotation player. How is Malik Monk number two? On your list, my pick would be Bacon too. I'm wondering because I'm wondering if Devontae Graham is my second guy. <laughs> I think Graham is my second guy, and then Monk, and then Hernan Gomez. You know, I think Graham because I mean Monk is just so one dimensional that unless that one dimension is otherworldly and it's not, and in fact it's really bad, what does he bring into the table that's really all that valuable? So I think Graham just on the basis that we don't really know what Devontae Graham is yet, and we know that Malik Monk at this point at least. In the, in the massive sample that we have with him is an inefficient gunner. And like, that's the least valuable role in the NBA right now is an inefficient gunner who just, you know, is not a very good defender. At least Devonte Graham might be something, but we, I just don't think that Monk is really ever going to be something. I really want to see a lot of Monk Rozier minutes, if only for the body language gifts <laughs> as they watch each other, like kind of toil away in the half court. Uh, that would be the worst. That could be one of the worst offenses ever. <laughs> And with Hernan Gomez, I I don't want to like it. It would be interesting to see him on a team with the Blazers that could maybe use him in the short role more and plays the type of defensive scheme where maybe he'd survive a bit better. But he, from where he was in New York, where a lot of people were unhappy that all they got were two seconds for him, or that they gave up in a young player at all. Uh, it like to where he is now, just defensively has not come along even a little bit. Yeah, that's been really disappointing. I was one of those guys who, who really thought that he could play more for the Knicks when he was on that team and that he never got the chance. And it turns out maybe the Knicks were right, which is a weird thing to Gasp. even think about. <laughs> but like the Knicks might have been right on Willie Hernan Gomez that he just he'll never be able to defend well enough to, to play NBA minutes. You know, certainly he can perhaps have a, t- a scheme that's really tailored for him, like you like you were talking about with with Portland. Maybe, but you know, it, certainly at this point and on this this particular Hornets team, I don't think he's he's going to get there. Is there anything that you're looking at this team uh, for this season that no one's talking about, or just something about them that you don't think is getting enough national shine heading into the year? I mean, everybody's so focused on how bad they're going to be, and they are going to be really, really, really bad. But they have enough interesting young guys who are not. None of them are stars. There's, there's not one single young up-and-coming star on this team, but they've got so many young, interesting rotation players from Bridges, Bacon, Devontae Graham, maybe Malik Monk as well, P.J. Washington. Like They've got enough interesting-ish young guys that it'll be fun to sort of watch their development, even though they're in a really bad place for their development based on the fact that Terry Rozier is their point guard. Yes, I'm very excited to just watch what maybe they'll let Dwayne Bacon and Miles Bridges do on, on the offensive uh, end this year. Just because Yeah, I mean, and when up. you have so many of those like mid-tier young guys, if you can just hit the lottery on one of those guys and all of a sudden one turns into a second banana on a championship team, then, then that's, that, that's going to be fantastic for you. And obviously, they're going to need the first banana. But, you know, having... If Miles Bridges can break out, like he's certainly the most, he's the the best breakout candidate as somebody who 
we you know we're going to talk we're going to talk about that i think bridges is the best breakout candidate but any of those guys if one of those guys could really pop and you have so many of them that hopefully one of them can hit you know i think that would that would certainly take them you know out of this this malaise of this rogier led rebuild um on to the quick hitter section will they grade out higher on the offense or the defensive end another reason <laughs> i mean can i go with neither like they're gonna be they're, <laughs> they're gonna i mean they they could easily be 30th in both like they're gonna be so bad the uh you Phoenix know sun's trifecta 30th in offensive rating defensive rating and net rating yeah i mean this that's where the hornets sort of are like i don't i don't i guess defense just made like just by default i guess but like this you know because rogier should be good on defense is he gonna try i have no idea like i it's just this this is a really bad team. <laughs> it just is what it is. Uh, breakout candidate, I think we're both in agreement. It would be Miles. Yeah, Miles it'd be Bridges. Bridges. If it's not Bridges, it's going to be Bacon. Yeah, and it's almost I'm, – I'm talking about how much I want to see those guys be able to do more, but what might be disingenuous to both of them is, is there just too many sort of ball-dominant offense first players on the rosters in Monk and Rozier that it then sort of stunts their development and if they're trying to let Nicholas Batum play – on this roster. I think ultimately if they're committed to developing these guys, they'll have no problem sort of experimenting with them for more, more on ball reps. But I, I could see a clear pathway to where, you know, with Rozier and Monk and Batum in this offense, maybe the, the opportunity isn't as expansive as at least I personally would like. Yeah. I mean, for Bridges, I think that's a, that's a very real concern that he's not going to have enough opportunity to develop his game. Bacon, I just kind of I like what he brings to the table, but I don't think like he might ca- he might like max out as like a fifteen percent usage guy. I just like what he can bring in those fifteen percent of of their possessions. But I don't know that having a bunch of offensive players around them, like offense first, like Rogier and Monk, players around them are going to be is going to be like a massive detriment on his on his production. I think for for Bridges that is certainly a concern though. Yeah, and I, for Bacon, he might be there. Look, I don't know if Batum is there, but he's their best chance of having a wing that right now that could really just create his own shot. Yeah. Um, on to that's really really scary though. Like, yeah, jeez, yeah. like the fact that that's the fact that you said that sentence and it makes sense means that this Hornet scene is not good. That's why I stuttered because I was just double checking the roster. I was like, no, yep, I'm right. You know, Michael Kidd, Gil, Chris yep. is Jay or PJ Washington. Um, <laughs> this is an extremely mean question. Uh, both for you, and I guess I'm not trying to troll Hornets fans there, but the strongest year-end award candidate. Nobody. Yeah. I didn't I didn't even write anybody down. Just they're not going to sniff any of these things. Like there's no point in even trying to construct an argument for any of these guys to win an award. There's not even there, – there's an argument to be made, not this isn't Hornets related, that maybe Zion won't win Rookie of the Year. It looks incredibly weak now because of what he's done in the preseason because maybe he gets buried a little bit but behind New Orleans' depth. Not where he won't play – or his minutes are curtailed, but maybe his production is because they have so many quality NBA rotation players. That being said, if you're going to assume that PJ Washington is not going to have the type of offensive volume that's going to catch attention for uh, rookie of the year voters. No, I mean, he, for Washington to win rookie of the year, seven or eight of the guys who were drafted ahead of him would have to like just either fall apart health wise or just not get kidnapped you know, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Get kidnapped <laughs> or just not play for their teams. Like it would be, he is, so incredible like he's so far down on the on the rookie of the year balloting there's probably like if he even gets a vote that that <laughs> that's a that's a win for the hornets from a non-charlotte like, hornets beat writer yeah 
yeah, from like somebody who is not, you know, work, working in the, the, the state of North Carolina. Like if he gets <laughs> a vote, that's a massive win for them. Uh, it, can you build an offbeat lineup that you really want to see for this team? Yeah, I mean, I think that's where you you get into a lot of those younger guys, Graham, Monk, Bacon, Washington, Hernan Gomez. I think that would just be, just throw it out there, see what happens. I mean, that's, that doesn't even include Miles Bridges, who I think you could throw in there as well. Like if you went Graham, Bacon, Bridges, Washington, Hernan Gomez, and just had a, like a couple of big wings out there, or really three big wings out there in, in Bacon, Washington, and, uh, and Bridges, and then you have Devontae Graham and, and Hernan Gomez doing their thing. You know, I think that would just be that would be a fun way to assess who of these young guys are is going to be somebody that they can build around, or somebody at least that they can think about as a, as a future part of their their rotation. Throw them all out there on the floor and see which guy pops the most. And so, you know, that's not necessarily how I would do it for most teams, but for this team, I think that makes sense. My lineup, I don't think, has a chance in hell of seeing the light of day just because I think of what this team's priorities are going to be. But Bridges at the five with MKG, Batum, Dwayne Bacon, and Terry Rozier. I feel like for a smaller ball lineup, that would have a chance of sniffing league average defense. And then just because of some of the mismatches you're creating, maybe it could be interesting on the offensive end. Yeah, I mean, actually, I think that that, that should make a lot of sense for them. Uh, player most likely to be traded. This is interesting just because of all the, the veterans uh, that they have, a few of which, are, a few of whom are on expiring contracts. Yeah, I think Marvin Williams is the answer here because he's the best player and is, should be able to, you know, provide some value as a three and D power forward for a, for a playoff team. I think that's a relatively valuable archetype. I think he's not he's more three than D, but he can hold up on the defensive end in, in a playoff situation. And I think you know as a as a, as a bench guy in that situation, I think he would be perfectly fine. Like Philadelphia would love to have him play like the Mike Scott minutes, you know, like, so if they mm-hmm. can work a trade with, with the, with the Philadelphia 76ers, Charlotte should be very open to, to moving Marvin Williams. You know, I think Batum made a ton of sense as a trade candidate. If they were, if they had re-signed Kemba Walker and they were looking to cut some money long-term, I think that makes more sense. But the fact that, you know, uh, Batum has like two years, 53 million left on his contract. Nobody's going to take that without a first round pick. And there's no way that Charlotte should be spending first round picks to get rid of money right now. Uh, two notes on this section. Would you consider if you're Charlotte, basically a Batum for Andrew Wiggins swap? I would absolutely do that. If I was, if I was, uh, Charlotte, because I would, but I also, I would ask Minnesota for some assets along with that because Batum as bad as he is at two years, 53 million Wiggins contract is so much worse than that. <laughs> so, bad. so you should, if you can get a first round pick from Minnesota and get a shot at Andrew Wiggins, I think that would be, that would be something that I would strongly consider if I was Charlotte. And my, my other thing was, I don't think this is a player you look to trade, but would you consider moving Cody Zeller two years, 29.9 yeah. million left? He's 20, he's 27 now, I believe looks like he's 48, but yeah, he's 27. <laughs> Um, it just seems like he, what he does, plus minus King, the setting the hard screens, the stuff that he can move pretty well on defense. It seems like there might be a move out there where you're not going to get like a ton of value, but for where his timeline is going, how much you're already paying for him. If you could get a, a cheaper young player that has some promise or a really low end first round pick or something, just based off where you're at for Charlotte, that is the type of package that I would consider the caveat being, 
I don't know what team comes along and says, hey, we want to pay you know Cody Zeller about $15 million a year over the next two seasons, but he seems like someone who might have the most trade value on the roster aside from Marvin Williams and obviously Miles Bridges or Dwayne Bacon. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think Zeller is so much more valuable to a, a contending team than he is to a rebuilding team because of all the little things he does to make you better. That said, I don't see who is going to be the 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 guy who really wants who's who's going to be the team who thinks that Cody Zeller is their their one their the the they're one piece away from a championship and Cody Zeller is that piece. I'm not sure I'd be an advocate of it, but you you start a deal uh like with the Clippers, you have the Harkless and eventually the Zubots salaries. Is he an upgrade over what they really have going on at the five now? I know Montrezl Harrell is really good, but you know, he can't really defensive rebound and then just isn't the best defender overall anyway. Yeah. I mean, certainly the Clippers hole at the center position is the most, is the most interesting part of their team going into the season. Obviously how the superstars fit together. That's interesting too. But like in terms of their long-term championship future over these next couple of years, it's, you know, the, the center position is going to be a massive thing for them, whether Zubac could take that step forward or whether they signed him to be a, a human trade exception. And then Harold, who know you know he he just he's not a defensive player and you don't necessarily need what he brings to the table offensively when you have Kawhi and Paul George. So is he going to close games or is Zubac going to close games? Maybe they can cobble something together and, and grab Zeller as somebody who can close games and be a very low usage center, but can can do all the little things that you need from a from a guy like that. Where do you think the Hornets end up in the Eastern Conference? Either last or second to last. I mean, they're they're they've got a chance to be the worst team in the league. Maybe they're a little bit better than Cleveland, but they're they're going to be real bad. Yeah, is there even other than Cleveland? Is there a team that might have a chance of being worse than them? I guess the Knicks, but they just have so many kind of quality veterans that it seems like they 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 should be. Again, if they really tried and tanked the season at some point, and their young kids just don't take any steps forward, but even there, it's tough to imagine them being worse than the Hornets. No, the only team that can sneak into being worse than the Hornets is if Washington loses Bradley Beal early in the season, either oh, yeah, to an injury or to a trade. If Washington trades Bradley Beal in like mid-December and and gets all future value back, like that's that's where Washington becomes the worst team maybe ever, and that's where you know Charlotte could sneak up into like the 13 seed in the East. Oldish prediction for the 2019-2020 Char- Charlotte Hornets. As much as we've crapped and everybody craps on Terry Rogier, he's gonna he might be better than people think. Even though he's still gonna be bad and he's still gonna be a negative player for them, he's gonna be better than people think. Like he's not that. He's not so. I mean, he's bad. He's really bad, but he's not as bad as some of the people who are as some of the people say out there. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Mine would be Miles Bridges is going to get a most improved player vote. Okay. Miles Bridges. That'd be interesting. Guys are terrible at taking care of their health. Whether it's a knee injury, bad back, or something worse, guys are usually more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. I'm guilty of it myself. I dislocated my shoulder just a few months ago. After it popped back in, rather than seeking immediate medical attention, I just wanted to continue about my daily life, deal with the pain, and hope that it would eventually get better without really doing anything to rest it or make sure that it gave me proper range of motion. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to chat with a doctor online. With Roman, 
you get medical care for ED, if appropriate, from the comfort and privacy of your own home. You can handle everything online in a convenient, discreet manner. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. If your doctor decides that treatment would be appropriate, they can prescribe genuine medication that can be delivered in discreet packaging right to your door with free two-day shipping. Guys, go talk to the doctor. Erectile dysfunction can be tough to tackle, but it's really important to get checked out. With Roman, it's easy to get connected to a doctor. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. We move on to the final team, the Southeast Division. The Sexy Six for the Orlando Magic begins with, are you a Markel Fos pessimist or optimist? I'm an optimist. I like, I just... I, w- I just I want so much for him to be a good player and to be a ha- and just to be happy with his life. Like I just I want that for him so much that I want to be an optimist. I think I still am. Just the little flashes in preseason, the flashes in the video that we saw from the offseason, that's just enough to make me think he can he can do enough to 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 start to to reclaim his career. This is basically going to be his rookie season based on you know, the, the very little that he's played so far in his career. So, you know, I'm not expecting much from him, but I do, I, I am an, a long-term optimist over Fultz. Is he potentially the biggest swing piece in the NBA? Again, that incumbent player that could most reinvent or break his team's long-term future. Just if, if he is anything near what he was expected to be coming out of college, the Magic's trajectory to me, in my mind, is just, just changes so drastically. I mean, if he's if he turns into the superstar that we thought he was going to be coming out of Washington, then yeah, like any any time you can get a superstar basically out of nothing, that's going to work, you know. And the fact that he's probably not going to do that immediately because he's you know missed so much time in his first couple of years, if he turns into a superstar after he starts his next contract, and he you know like he's going to make twelve million dollars next year, and then he's going to be a restricted free agent if he. If they re-sign him to a lower, you know, lower cost deal, and then he breaks out to become a superstar, that's where he can become. That's 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 how the, the Magic get back to the conference finals or the finals is if he becomes a superstar after you know after his next contract, so that he's paid twelve million dollars and is and is you know producing at a twenty-five million dollar level. You know, so I think that's. I don't think overall he's the he's the biggest swing piece only because. The, the chances of him becoming a superstar are so low. Like, I think you would look at, you know, the, the, the sort of more up-and-coming superstars, Zion Williamson, Luka Doncic, Trey Young, as more swing pieces. I don't know if those guys count necessarily as swing pieces because we, ha- we expect so much from them. But, you know, Fultz, to me, the, 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 the chances that he becomes a superstar are so slim that it's hard for me to, you know, really even consider that. Yeah, and so he doesn't change their trajectory as much if he doesn't pan out then, whereas if Zion went belly up or something like that. But as someone who where the expectations are low, I guess he yeah. would be right up there. Yeah, I think for somebody who the expectations are low and there is a slight chance that he could be a superstar because of the, the expectations that there were, you know, two and a half years ago, that from that perspective, yeah, I think he, he could change the Magic's future more than any other sort of very low expectation player out there. My second thing on the Magic, who's more important to this team's future, Jonathan Isaac or Aaron Gordon? 
I think Jonathan Isaac has the higher defensive ceiling, but he's he's got to play both ends in order to be really important to this team's future. I think that's where Gordon is able to balance that a little bit more. He's not quite as good defensively, but is still very, very good on that end of the floor. Just because Isaac is better than him doesn't mean Gordon's bad. He's just not quite as good as Jonathan Isaac. That that being said, Gordon is much, much better offensively, can create for himself, can create for his teammates, can shoot the ball a little bit. Isaac can't really do any of that quite yet. Hopefully, eventually, he'll be able to get there. But at this point, Gordon is more important to their future, both in the fact that he's better right now and the fact that he sort of has a clearer path to continuing to get better. And on top of that, Gordon is on a very good contract. And you know, if they decide that they want to go with Isaac instead of Gordon, Gordon can bring back more in a trade than, than Isaac will. So I think whether he's on this team or not, Aaron Gordon is, is more important to their future. Yeah, I, I didn't even think of that in those terms because that, of what Gordon does for them as, as a trade asset. They really do need a, a wing that can create, and it does seem – I wouldn't call Gordon a wing, but the way that they use him, I know people say that Gordon should like stay in his offensive wheelhouse, but I also feel like it's the magic that no, gets him I mean, out of it so often. Yeah, and I think that would be that's smart for them. Like I think just like we talked about with John Collins, like the magic should be looking at Blake Griffin and saying, Aaron, go be go try to be Blake. Like it might not work, but go try to do that. Because if he's able to do that, then that puts that puts him in such a rarefied air within the league as, as a power forward who can do all that stuff. And then of course, Gordon is much better defensively than, than Griffin is obviously Griffin is older and has suffered some injuries. So, you know, that, that, you know, hurts his defensive value quite a bit, but you know, if Gordon can get to, you know, 50% of what Blake Griffin is and have, have the defense, he's, you know, he's going to be a really valuable player. On a scale of one to 10, how worried are you about the magic's offense this year? They were really Oh, I shouldn't say really good. They were above average with in Vooch's minutes last year, 19th in offensive rating overall per cleaning the glass. But they only further leaned into the long non-shooters model by adding Aminu. And now you don't know if we're assuming Markel Fultz gets playing time. You have Michael Carter-Williams. Those two have played together in the preseason. I don't, I don't know if that'll happen in the regular season. Is this team, given that it wasn't even that great offensively last year, is it potentially primed for regression this year? Everything about this Magic team is primed for regression. Like, they were so good defensively the last half of the season, but, like, Nikola Vucevic is still their, their centerpiece defensively, like, because he's going to play center. And so, like, that's going to be a problem. The fact that, like, Mo Bamba is, like, going to work his way back into the rotation, like, he's worse than Kem Birch, so that's going to be a regression just based on the playing time that those guys are going to get. The, you know, the fact that they got career years out of, like, three of their top four offensive players in terms of DJ Augustin, Terrence Ross, and uh, and Nikola Vucevic, they got like absolute career years out of all three of those guys. And if two of them regress to the mean, like this is this could be a bottom five offense. And if all three of them do, which is sort of the expectation, they, you know, this team could be really bad. So, you know, I, I think the offensive, the offensive floor is is really, really low for this team. And it seems more likely that they're going to hit their floor than their ceiling. Who's more likely going to, off their career years, who's more likely to, like, really suffer a hard fall? Vooch, Terrence Ross, or DJ Augustine? Oh, I mean, all three of them are, are – are, I think Vooch is the least likely just because some of the the, the, the skill-based stuff that he does should be more rep, replicable. You know, I think Ross, just the, the raw shooting numbers, you know, just shooting fluctuate can fluctuate so much from year to year. And when a guy has a breakout year like that, it's not necessarily indicative of his of his long term 
you know, shooting development. So I don't think that, I think Ross is probably the, the answer to that question. I think I'd probably agree with you because DJ Augustine's quietly been really good for a few years now. Yeah, I, I don't think that his career year was quite as much out of left no, field as it was for the other two when guys. he played without Vooch. Like if they were a league average offense with him on the court by himself, setting like being forced to set people up and being a focal point, then yeah, but it, it yeah. that wasn't the case. Yeah, I mean he cert- that was the best year of his career, but it wasn't so much of an outlier like it was for the other guys. Does it? It looks awkward on paper to begin with, dating back to last season. Does it get awkward if Bamba ends up having a really good? sophomore year you know maybe they get away with spinning him as a backup for now but you have Gordon and Vooch and and Isaac you signed Kem Birch and now you have Mo Bamba I just if if one of those four ends up in trade discussions this year or five if you want to include Kem Birch who do you think it, it would end up being I mean if Bamba has a great sophomore season that's great for them it's not awkward I think it's it's fantastic because Vucevic the the contract that they signed him to declines just like they did with Aaron Gordon so the, 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 he'll have more trade value as things progress. So even if he, even if Bamba has a great sophomore year, he's not going to be more than a backup for, for this coming season. Like no matter what he does, pretty much, he's not going to be, he's not going to supplant Vucevic as the starter. And then once you get into next summer, Vucevic has three seasons left at like 26, 24 and 22 million. He's going to be, you know, he's going to have some value out there. The, the fact that his contract declines is always going to be, you know, attractive to teams. So, you know, if Bamba, becomes their center of the future, I think that's great for them because then they'll be able to move him into the starting lineup and get something for Vooch next summer. You don't think it would ever be the other way around, like where they might consider selling high on Bamba? The only reason they would do that is if some, for some reason they thought that his sophomore breakout was something totally unsustainable that, some, that the other teams aren't seeing. I don't, you know, If he were to break out, that would be like him being able to sort of fulfill that 3 and D potential. If he saw, if he was, you know, blocking a bunch of shots, but wasn't that value, wasn't actually that valuable on defense, and you know, was hitting threes at an unsustainable rate, maybe they would sell high on him. But you know, I, I, I would, I would imagine that they are much more likely to sell on Vooch if Bamba breaks out than sell on Bamba. You know, to, if he, if Bamba does break out, I can't really tell how invested this team is in the moment versus down the line because they did pay Vooch and. And he could be a trade asset, but they also paid Terrence Ross and that contract, not huge. And it declines in the final two seasons, but it definitely more of a risk than the Vooch one, I would say. They, under the radar wise, I think that if Bradley Beal hits the chopping block, you start going in with Aaron Gordon and Bamba as just the framework. They're a team yeah. that could probably offer one of the more interesting packages. But you could feel free to tell me if that's shit, too. You don't got to hold that's that. That's interesting. I mean, certainly if Bamba is better, like you can't do that now because Bamba is not good. Right. But like if Bamba was better and he, you know, started to become more of a real prospect and Gordon, you know, takes some steps forward and, and is, you know, who he's been over the, the last year or so. Like, I think that that's a really interesting package. That's something that uh, that Washington, you know, perhaps could sell to their fans as like, we're not just selling we're not selling on Bradley Beal for all these future draft picks. Like these guys are good right now. And so, you know, once John Wall comes back, we've got Aaron Gordon and we're, you know, off and running again, and we don't necessarily need to keep Bradley Beal. So I think that uh, that something like that would make some sense for both sides. What needs to be the lineup that this team leans on and not to be confused with the lineup that you want to see most uh, when Vooch is off the floor this season, because they, they were a shit show without him last year. And it wasn't, you know, it's, it's not, 
overstating it to say that that's what it was. It was most yeah. of the combinations they ran without him. It was just it was really bad. The drop off was evident. Even when you had uh, Ross on the floor against some bench heavy units, it just wasn't great. And so I don't know that they have any better options this year. Maybe they do because you're banking on faults to hit. I'm just curious, what's the lineup you'd like to see the most run with this year when Vooch is not on the court? Yeah, I think that's where Fultz, if, if he can be anything, that's where he comes into play. That's where Gordon's development as a playmaker comes into play. I think, so if Vooch is sitting, I would go with like Fultz, Ross, Isaac, Gordon, and Kem Birch, or, or Mo Bamba if Mo Bamba breaks out, but assuming he doesn't, that's, you know, that would be Kem Birch's spot. You know, I think that would be interesting if you wanted to do something a little bit smaller, you know, something with, with, MCW instead of a uh, instead of a center and move Gordon to center, move Isaac to the four, move basically Ross to the three. Though probably MCW would defend threes in that situation, and then and then Ross and Fultz as well. I think those that that lineup could be kind of interesting as sort of a try to get some sort of spark plug offense while Vooch is off the floor. But I think it would be smart for them to lean heavily on on defense when Vooch is off the floor. Try to make it a slugfest. Try to do all the things that bad teams do when their best players off the floor. Make slow the game down as much as possible, play as many good defenders as you can and try to win that five minute stretch, you know, four to three rather than 14, 13 and, and really try to make it yeah, as, as slow as possible. Would you go with like a, if I agree that they should definitely lean on the defense. Would you go like maybe a, a four potentially plus defense? Like, is this a, a Fultz is such a wild card, which is weird. Like a Fultz, yeah. Ross, Gordon, Isaac Birch lineup might be good defensively. And then maybe you hit a little, bit on the offensive end with them it's just it's so I think you could build defense first lineups really easily with this team without Vooch that being said you want to have someone in there that kind of creates a higher offensive ceiling for you and Ross is probably the guy that would need to be included in that scenario I guess I mean Ross's offensive creation is all for himself and it's not that good anyway so I don't know that the off the the trade-off there is all that like I would rather just throw the ball to Aaron Gordon or Markel Fultz and just say like go do something rather than Terrence Ross. Like certainly Ross had a great year last year, but I don't know how replicable that is. So I'm not, and the fact that he takes so much off the table defensively, you know, Aminu could also be in these, these defense first lineups. Like if you had like Isaac Gordon Aminu as sort of the, the front court trio, like that would just be, that could be really strong defensively, even without a true center. And then you have, you know, faults and Ross on the, on the perimeter to try to create some offense. That could be something interesting. I think they can, they could do a little bit more this year without Vooch on the floor, but it's it's still going to be a tough tough sliding for them. We uh, is there anything about this team that you don't think is uh, getting talked about enough that you're going to be watching for during the season? I mean, just how bad they could be if they get real like slide backs from from the guys who had career years last year. You know, Augustin Ross and Vucevic. If we see them really regress hard to the mean or even past the mean, back to being you know to to you know, just if they regress way bet down, then that could be this team really could fall out of the playoff picture very quickly. And they could be there's a chance that this team falls into that conversation with the bottom five teams in the East. I was surprised. I think it was Zach Lowe of ESPN. It was on one of the low post podcasts where he said that he sees the scenario for the magic to end up third in the East. And I just don't even know. I, I'm sure yeah. that he was talking about their ceiling. I just don't even know that I would put it that high. Like it's really hard for me to envision them being good enough on the offensive end for long enough uh, for that to, to be their ceiling. It feels like just because of, and you've mentioned already how reliant they were on a, a surplus of their guys having career years last year that you yeah, have to I brace mean, yourself for some form of regression. 
like how how was last year not their like absolute ceiling? Like I, you know, Gordon can get better. Mobamba cannot be awful. But like even if they got more like another career year out of their their you know Augustin Ross and and Vucevic, and then Gordon takes a step forward, you know, a, a normal step forward, and Bamba isn't terrible. Are they better than like the seven? Like, are they better than Brooklyn? Like, that's not like I don't. I couldn't. I can't possibly see how they get past maybe seventh in the East, even at their absolute ceiling. Because last year was so good for them as they're as they got so close to their ceiling last year, and they were the eight seed. So, like, I just I don't see how they can really even get past like seven or eight. And they were basically the best defensive team for more than half the year. We're close to it. And so you leave yourself, that's encouraging, but then you also have more room to fall off if you're that high. Yeah, of course. I mean, everything, they, they're at, they're very close to their peak. So they've got so much room to fall off in, on both ends of the floor. And maybe they can sustain that and get back to the seven or eight seed, but that's, that's closer to the ceiling than it is the, uh, the baseline expectation for them. The quick hit around for the Orlando Magic. Will they grade out higher on offense or defense this year? Defense by a mile. I mean, this isn't even a question. I think that like they could be if they're a if they're not a bottom ten offense, that's a win for them. And if they're not a top eight defense, like that something went hor- went really wrong for them. So like they're gonna be this team should be very good defensively. Yeah, they finished eighth last year and that was with a huge uh midseason uptick i'd probably say they're in that range again i don't could you see a yeah. scenario where they get to top five through the entire year maybe i guess yeah i mean i i certainly you know they certainly added defensive talent in aminu and if bomba can you know be anything or if they know going into the season that he's not going to be their guy and they can go with kem birch i think they they could certainly sniff being a top five unit throughout the year uh you know they could even be better than that but it's it's you know, how much of that comes at the expense of their offense is going to be a question and then you know how much development time do they want to get give to you know Mobamba if he's if he's not all that good? So that'll be that'll be how that the defense falls off. Who's the breakout candidate for this roster? And this is actually an interesting question for the Magic. I feel like they have a few like legitimate candidates. Yeah, they've got a few legitimate candidates. I think I'm, I would go with Aaron Gordon just because the upside there, if he becomes Blake Griffin light, is such a huge improvement for them. But obviously, I mean, Markel Fultz is the the guy for this question in terms of like if he is just anything if he is a rotation level player then that's just such a huge thing for them and then of course Jonathan Isaac as well so they've got a bunch of guys who could could really break out i think the the most likely breakout candidate to me is is Aaron Gordon yeah he he definitely could be most likely Isaac just seems like someone who if he's hitting threes at a better rate and for what he can already do defensively and then Fulton Bomber are sort of I don't want to call them default answers, but just because of where they're coming from and what they're working off, that if they give you anything close to what they were supposed to be, then that's going to be considered a breakout as well. Yeah. Strongest year-end award candidate for the Magic. I think Gordon is in that same conversation. Like, if he can become Blake Griffin light, then he can be in that most improved player conversation. Uh, You know, I think that's... A lot of people still think of him as this, you know, bouncy what Blake Griffin was when he was, you know, with the, with the Clippers. But if he can show that he can do more than that, then I think that's, uh, that's where he could win most improved. I would, I, I'm a, I agree with you there overall. And, and the only other options I think would be if they were going to outperform that just because if you're going to be a team that hovers around or above 500, then maybe it's a little bit easier for you to outperform your expectations from there. Perhaps Steve Clifford gets some yeah. coach of the year buzz. Uh, if not him, 
does Terrence Ross, you know, have another career year and sneak into the six man of the year conversation? Those would be the only two other potential options I see on the roster. Yeah, I think Clifford as coach of the year is a, is a, is a good shout as well because like he he had them really set up well to defend in that in that Toronto series. People are going to remember that if they work their way into like a top three defense and like the seventeenth best offense somehow, and they're you know in that six seven seed conversation, I certainly think that they uh, that he he could he could get some buzz as, as coach of the year. What's the, what's an offbeat lineup you'd like to see from this team during the season? I mean, we we've talked a little bit about that about the the, the weird lineups that we they could throw out there, but you know anything with Isaac Gordon and Aminu all together with Gordon at the five or whoever whoever counts at the five in that situation, anything with faults is going to be interesting just because of how much you know what what he might be able to do. You know, faults and MCW is an interesting but weird combination. You know, anything that that Fournier can bring to the table. You know, we don't we didn't really talk about him too much, but. You know he's going to be interesting as well. So they've got a bunch of of really you know interesting lineups. I think one of the offbeat ones would be a no point guard lineup at all. Like let Gordon thinking. totally have the reins. Like Gordon, Fournier, Isaac, Aminu, Vucevic, and let Gordon be the primary guy. Obviously, Vucevic would be the the true primary, like highest usage guy. But let let Gordon be the guy who brings the ball up every possession. I think that would be a lot of fun too. Your lineup makes uh, is similar to mine, and it's definitely more sensible because you have Vooch as the hub still, but I would pull Vooch out of there, and then you throw in <laughs> Aminu with the Gordon-Isaac combination and run with Ross and Fournier. So it's no point guard. Yeah. Uh, you're going to have to trust Fournier and, and Gordon to do a lot of the creation for everybody else. Yeah, I mean, that's those line of, I mean, anything without a, a true point guard is going to be tough, but if Gordon is up for that challenge, I think that'd be a lot of fun. Player most likely to be traded on the Magic. It's probably still Aaron Gordon. I mean, it's, it seems weird to answer to answer him on right. every single one of these questions, but he's got such a, a friendly contract, and he has the chance to break out. But if he doesn't break out, there's certainly another team could convince themselves like we can make him break out. And he's on this the the, the great team friendly contract that declined so well that you know I really think that he's he's somebody who could be traded, especially if they want to rebalance the roster and and make it a little bit more balanced, I guess, toward toward the guard positions. Yeah, part of me wants to say Fournier, just if they're willing to make a big swing and teams are looking at his contract saying, all right, he'll probably opt in, but then there's only a year after that. Um, I just don't I, – I still think it's Gordon because if they're going to take that swing or take on uh, – well, if they're going to take that swing and really go for a player, Gordon's just going to have to be a part of any trade package regardless. Yeah, I think it goes both ways. Like Gordon is going to have to be part of their trade package if they're going to swing for the fences. But then also if things are really bad – then another team might swing for the fences on Gordon. So it sort of goes both ways that if they're really good and they want to upgrade the roster, Gordon is going to be involved in that. But if they're really bad, then another team is going to convince themselves we can rehabilitate Gordon's career a little bit and he's on a team-friendly contract. So, you know, I think it, it sort of shakes both ways for, for Gordon that he can, he can be traded, you know, whether they're real good or real bad. Where do you think the Magic will land in the East? Probably closer. I would... I would venture to guess they're closer to out of the playoffs than in the playoffs, but somewhere in that sort of eight to eleven range. Yeah, I have a. Uh, I th- I think they're going to end up like the seven eight, and they could finish lower than that. I I'm their ceiling. I might be a little bit higher on them than you there. I could see them getting to fifth or maybe even into fourth if we're penciling in the Celtics or the Nets. Uh, yeah, it, fifth would be their ceiling for me. I can't see them being either one of those teams, and even out 
pacing Indiana might be tough, depending on what Victor Oladipo looks like when he comes back. I think it's December right now from that ruptured quad. So they're, you're pro- I think you're probably closer to right than not when you say that last year might have at seven is closer to their ceiling uh, this year. Yeah, I, I, that's where I'm at with them. Is I just I don't b- believe in them as as much better than than the seventh or eighth seed at their absolute ceiling. And if they fell out of the playoffs in favor of you know Miami, who you know is is sort of being penciled back into the playoffs, you know Toronto is going to be there as well as somebody who is was not is not going to be as good as last year, but should still be better assuming they don't sell everybody off should be better than this Orlando team. You know, I think um, Detroit has some upside to explore with, you know, with Aaron, with Andre Drummond has impressed me a little bit in preseason with some of the stuff he's been able to do. So I think they, they've got a, I would, they've got a better chance at missing the playoffs than they do at being a six seed or higher to me. I think that's fair. What would your boldish prediction be for the magic? That things really, really fall apart for them. And that's, I guess, you know, that's the the out of the box thing that I also thought earlier is like that there that there's a chance that things really fall apart. And I guess my so my bold prediction would be things that just absolutely fall apart and that they sort of join up with New York and Atlanta as what as some of those you know really bad teams at like 12, 13, 14 in the East. My actual my prediction is going to be for them is that Markel Fultz is so good, good being a relative term to what he's been, <laughs> uh, that there are more jokes made about what Philly ended up getting for him after what they traded away to, to draft him. That's what that would be happen this season. There that would be really great for Fultz. I would love to see him play well, but uh, well, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, I guess. Yeah, there is because if he's good, the what they ended up selling him off for just doesn't look like much at all. And it was even well, sure. I thought they were going to get more for him in the moment. I didn't realize how far Fultz's stock had fallen and maybe it just took a specific team like the magic that are like, Oh, we're going to pick up his fourth year option anyway to view him as to treat him as any kind of asset. But I was even surprised at how low he, he ended up going for. I thought the mystique uh, from the draft might've still been, been on there a little bit more firmly. That's interesting. Clearly it was not. I was, I was on the opposite camp. I was, I was not shocked, but I was relatively surprised that they even got a first round pick for him at all. So, you know, the, I, you know, I was in a, a relatively, different boat from from you i didn't think that he was ever going to get back to even what he is now which is just making one or two plays a game in preseason is more than i sort of had expected from him so the fact that they the fact that philly got a first round pick for him at the time for me felt like good value for them and then you know obviously we'll, you know we'll see what uh, where he actually ends up but if he's great then you know, Philly sold too early or, or, you know, gave up on him a little bit too early and, and Orlando's going to reap those benefits. But, and as much as I want that to happen, I just, I'm not, I, 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 I'll believe it when I see it basically. It's also a little tough to kill Philly, even if he does pan out, because then you have to get back into like moves that were made further back because he wouldn't have had the opportunity in Philly this season that he's going to have in Orlando that he would need. Sure. To yeah. Cause Philly's trying to be great and they're not, you know, they don't have time to develop Markel Fultz in the way Orlando does. Right. Jeff, thank you so much for uh, previewing the Southeast division with me. If we really, I really appreciate your time. It was great basketball talk as per usual. Anyone who is not following Jeff on Twitter, correct that immediately. He can be found at, jg siegel that's at jg s-i-e g-e-l you need to be following and checking out early bird rights fantastic website no one is better at keeping track of 
player salaries, updating their cap sheets, figuring out how much te- room teams have under the tax, how much salary cap space you're looking at in the coming summers. Early bird rights at early bird rights, and I'm, I'm not overselling it either. I remember uh, there was a tweet Jeff had. I can't remember what the player was, but he was – or where he was, but he was in a Costco parking lot or something and updated it from his phone. <laughs> so that's, that's how committed yeah. he is to keeping those sheets up to date as quickly as possible. Yeah, I've been uh, I've updated cap sheets from some very strange areas. Cost- the Costco parking lot was one of the stranger ones. You know, pulling off to the side of the road on the way to Las Vegas has certainly happened, where it's 105 degrees outside, and I'm pulling over somewhere between Barstow and Las Vegas because <laughs> something happened and I need to update things. So things get updated on the site. Obviously, that's not as important as we move into the season because you know there aren't going to be as many uh, moves as there were in in July, but. Uh, Yes, the salary cap stuff is is going to be there throughout uh, throughout the season. As you're interested in, as we get closer to the trade deadline, that will be become more of a, a more of a conversation. And then you know everything else on early bird rights. There's going to be articles, and we're going to have some uh, some new features dropping. Hopefully, in the next eight days or so, we're still working on those to make sure that they're ready. So you know, keep your eyes peeled on early bird rights. Follow it. Uh, follow the account on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter, and uh, you'll find all of that information. Where is the strangest place you've updated cap sheets from? I would think that that random truck stop between Barstow and and Vegas was probably the weirdest one, uh, just because like it's not even a truck stop because there was no building there. It was just like an exit and then a dirt path, and I just sort of pulled over to the side and and got out and you know hot spotted off my phone to to try to uh, get that stuff updated. You're taking a chance there too, even if you have a, like do you have a strong enough signal in that area to even hotspot stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, if you if I didn't if I hopefully I had well I did in the in the moment, but I, the uh, if I got if I was if I had enough service to get the tweet in from Woj or Shams or whoever, then I I hope that I have enough <laughs> uh, uh, enough uh, signal to upload and download and then upload the uh, the cap sheets. That is a good baseline. Well, again, Jeff, thank you so much. Guys, follow him on Twitter at JG Siegel, S-I-E-G-E-L, and then Early Bird Rights on Twitter as well, at Early Bird Rights. I'm sure I'll be pestering you again soon, Jeff. And until next time, I leave everybody else with a shout-out to the one, the only, the legendary Kyle Anderson.